You're listening to the Hockey Podcast Network, your home for hockey talk covering every team in the NHL. New episodes every Monday. Download at thehockeypodcastnetwork.com or wherever you get your podcasts from. This is the Leaf Sky Podcast. Here's your host, Jim Taddy. Hi, everybody, and thank you to Mike Ross for that fine introduction. This is episode 31 of Leaf Sky. Jim Taddy with you for the next approximately 40 minutes or so. Leafs coming off a big 4-1 win over Winnipeg in Winnipeg on Saturday. Our guest today are Bill Waters, former Leafs assistant general manager, and Dave McCarthy from NHL.com and SiriusXM NHL Network Radio. Before we get there, basketball season won't be around forever, so get in on all the action now with DraftKings, the leader in one-day fantasy sports. DraftKings is giving new players a free shot at millions of dollars in total prizes. Claim your free shot at millions of dollars in total prizes when using the code THPN during sign-up. Playing daily fantasy basketball is simple. Just pick your lineup, stay under the salary cap, see how your team stacks up against the competition. Feel the sweat like never before. Every dunk, steal, and assist means so much more for the DraftKings daily fantasy lineup. Baseball fans, you may have missed out on the season-long fantasy, so now is the time to get in on all the daily fantasy action where DraftKings has even more ways to make it rain. With DraftKings, payday comes every day for players, so what are you waiting for? Head to the app now. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, here is the call to action. Download the DraftKings app now. Use the code THPN during sign-up. This week, DraftKings is putting you in the action with a free shot at millions of dollars in total prizes. That's the code THPN, and you can get a free shot at millions of dollars in total prizes only at DraftKings. Minimum $5 deposit required. Eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com for complete details. All righty, let's get into the hockey story. So 4-1, the Leafs win in Winnipeg. And Winnipeg went from chasing the Leafs for first to now occupying third place in the division. The Leafs full value here. They had physical pushback. The Jets decided to intimidate the Leafs physically and responsibly. The Leafs defended themselves very nicely. There's a couple of plays here that stand out. The first one is Sandine on Wheeler, a play that's going deep into the Leafs zone. It's got hit into the boards written all over it. Sandine pushes back like Peter Forsberg did years ago. Wheeler comes out of it worse for wear, and two things happen there. The uh, the sort of physical presence that you were trying to intimidate the Leafs with does not work, and one of the Jets' better players comes out of it worse for wear, as I said, maybe injured or slightly hurt at the time. And the other valuable thing that comes out of this is Sandine, who was questionable in terms of how he could compete physically, had his own answer. That is a big, big play for the Leafs in many respects. There's another one here, Muzzin on Ehlers, and unfortunately Ehlers is done for the season. But there you go. There's that game plan from the Jets. We're going to try and physically intimidate the Leafs, get them off their game. Why? Because we can't beat them any other way, even though they had good examples of how they could do that earlier in the year. For whatever reason, they felt they had to do this. B, it didn't work, and C, you got injured players out of it. This was a major step back for the Jets. The other thing I was looking for on that night was Connor Hellebuck to be a piece of plywood. He got burned in the first two Leaf goals that were innocent plays that backfired on him. He got caught on one side of the net on one and another, just a wicked bounce off one of the glass joints or spansion pieces of metal that they call it that came out in front. There wasn't anything he could do about it, but I was expecting him to shut the door. The fact that the Leafs got three on him is a bonus. Then, of course, the fourth one 
goes into the empty net. The Leafs are looking good. They have four games left with Montreal, eight left in the season, but that four-game Montreal set is going to be very fascinating indeed. I just really like where the Leafs are now. They have responded to every valley they've been in. They've taken on the team, and it's been different teams taking a run at them for first for months now, and the Leafs always come out on top. And so I just want to see what happens against Montreal before I'm willing to say that the Leafs can go deep. I really feel they can. Nick Foligno's a very nice ad, great to watch. And when Hyman and Riley Nash get back into this lineup, and we don't know about Freddie Anderson, but he appears to be working his way back. What I'm trying to say to you is a totally healthy Maple Leaf lineup, if it could stay healthy, is almost a guarantee that this team could go very, very deep. It's a good-looking hockey team. It's had its moments, but it has responded every time out. So we'll see. Well, that's what I'm saying. Let's get some analysis now from Bill Waters, former assistant Leafs general manager. So, Bill, final eight games, and four of them are against Montreal. The other four are comprised of two against Vancouver, one against Winnipeg, and one against Ottawa. And the next Leafs game is against Montreal. Montreal's in a desperate spot here. These, These could be classic hockey games. Yeah, I would think so. They they might even be uh, reminders of what we haven't had for a while, Montreal-Toronto playoff matchup. But uh, I watched the Montreal game last night in Calgary, and boy, oh boy, that was tight hockey. Tight, tight hockey. They're really, they're really closing it down. So the Leafs are going to be have to get accustomed to that, and their defensemen are coming back, the Montreal defensemen. So they're a better team, but... Uh, they still don't score a lot, and the Leafs are going to, I think, have to play them the way Montreal wants to play, and that is tied up against it. And that'll be a challenge to the Leaf team. Yeah, it's kind of an interesting premise because you play Montreal four times, and if they get their way, then you get another shot at seven because that would be the first-round matchup. So it's not like the Leafs yeah. can allow anything to happen there. Yeah, I I don't know what the Leafs would be looking for. You see, what my concern is, is the way Montreal played Pittsburgh last year in the bubble. I mean, that was a complete shock for the Pittsburgh Penguins. They couldn't handle it. The, the, the defense played very well and uh, are big and they're, they can be tough. I'm not talking about street fighting. I'm talking about taking bodies in front of the net and in the corners. And they had a group of forwards that knew how to uh, play the game without the puck. So uh, goaltending prevailed, and in that case, Price uh, brought them through. But they had no business beating a team of Pittsburgh's caliber, and they beat it on style. And that's what the Leafs have to be ready for. And if nothing else, these games against Montreal can be a great preparation for what's about to come. Yeah, absolutely. And it's kind of interesting that, that when you look at the Leafs, as soon as they, they handle Winnipeg and, and deal with the Jets, suddenly Edmonton is now the team in pursuit of first with Toronto. So it's not like the Leafs can take their foot off the gas. There's always somebody else chasing them after they've succeeded at something. Yeah, and isn't it strange that this is another – Winnipeg was another mountain to climb, as Edmonton was a month ago. And they've climbed all those mountains, but in between the hills and the valleys – they haven't been as good as they have been when they're challenged. And that's an interesting concept. I trust it will prevail in the playoffs as well. But uh, they're a different team uh, when they're faced with obstacles that seem, oh, oh, here we are, a challenge for first, a challenge for second. Well, there hasn't been a challenge for second for a long time. 
but the Leafs have defended their number one position in the division uh, very impressively. Yep, I would agree with that. And you know, so just with the history lesson, you know, the three three straight in Edmonton, uh, one and six, nine zero and one, oh three and two, and now two and zero oh against Winnipeg. So there's enough good there to, to forget about the bad, isn't there? That's true, and and they're playing uh, their biggest challengers in Winnipeg and Edmonton, and now they're taking on Montreal. So they're going to be able to do it again with the same type of attitude and uh, perseverance. I. I, I don't. I think it has to do with something psychologically because they don't. They don't just show up and say, "Oh, it's Edmonton. Let's let's play differently." They prepare to play differently against the better teams, and conversely, I don't think they prepare well enough, nor take the other teams serious enough uh, to make any kind of an impression. Well, true enough. I mean, if, if you have circled. Their games against Ottawa and Vancouver, you'd have a totally different opinion of this hockey team. Yeah. Oh, exactly. If you just took the two records uh, or their records and uh, notations of how they played the games, Edmonton and Winnipeg, to say nothing of Montreal, but Edmonton and Winnipeg in particular, uh, they're the class of the loop. And if you take them and the others, they're just another hockey team. Yep, absolutely. So let's let's talk about the. I thought the two wins against the Jets were impressive because they got better as the games wore on. And that game on Saturday, I mean, that was almost a clinic of how good the Leafs could be. They they really took it to Winnipeg. Winnipeg had this this idea that they could get under the Leafs' skin physically, and it just didn't work. And I thought that was very noteworthy. How about you? Uh, as well, and and uh, to the point where they were calling the Leafs dirty. Yeah. And I don't know that they were dirty. A couple of the injuries were inadvertent. Uh, uh, the uh, Wanda Wheeler was certainly not something that was planned. And uh, I, I just felt that that was a little overdone. But the fact that they played the game the way they know they have to play it, whether it be Edmonton and Winnipeg, in order to win. They don't like being disrupted from their pursuit of the puck, which is their team style. But they're able to overcome that with Winnipeg and with the better teams. They stick to it. They do what they have to do. And most importantly, I thought that Rasmus Sandin was the man that could make the power play goal. I was very impressed with what he does with the puck after he makes his entry. And that's something that they haven't seen for a while on their power play. The problem, of course, with that, Jim, is that uh, can Rasmus Sandin play five-on-five? Five? And if he can't, I think it's worth uh, the coach's time to have a look at him as the seventh defenseman and use him in spot duty, but use him on the power play because the power play is a difference. It's a different unit with him out there moving the puck. I would agree. I, I think they, they understand his skill level, and that's why they kept him around, but you know, the fact that he leaned back on Wheeler and caused Wheeler a problem was, was really eye-opening because that tells me the guy knows how to defend and protect himself, and we didn't really see that before, and that, that's kind of vital for him. I mean, here's how big the defensemen are in the league. This guy's at 5'11", and he looks smallish. Yeah, <laughs> yeah and, he, and he's not yet matured physically. He's, you know, he's getting there, but it, he'll be much stronger in a couple of years, so he has to put up with that as he progresses, but the fact that he's got such a skill level, it's amazing watching him 
out there on a power play with a little bit of room to move. He he does something with the puck. He makes plays, and uh, he's he's a very gifted offensive player. I don't think they can afford not to have him on their power play. Well, I found the whole two games very interesting because I didn't really know. I, I saw weakness in Winnipeg that I didn't know was there. Hellebuck struggled uh, in the first game, and in the second game, Snake been on a couple of weirdo plays, but Nonetheless, you, I thought he was going to be a piece of plywood in the second game. And, and Although he played very well, he got caught in a couple of things. The, the Winnipeg uh, try to get under the lead skin physically sort of bothered me because any time I see that in the playoffs, that tells me that the team that's trying to be physical can't win the other way. And I didn't expect that out of Winnipeg. I, I thought that they had really had some really good games against the Leafs this year, and that was kind of a tell for me. How about you? Yeah, I, I... – I don't know. I was I was perplexed at how Winnipeg played them. I was uh, when I say perplexed, I was expecting something like you were expecting. Yeah. A real hockey game with nothing entering into it other than the skills of the two teams. Uh, no physical threats, none of that. Uh, and that's that's part of the game, and I accept it as part of the game. But I was with you. I thought Winnipeg had the balance, and certainly the goaltending. And it might have been just taking the goalie out in the first game and three shots and you're out. It was a shock to the goalie. It might've been a shock to the system too. I don't know. I don't think a good hockey team would uh, play adversely after that happens. But uh, that when, when you're fishing for why didn't Winnipeg play their game and, and, and play the least mano mano and uh, see what the final score was, but they, they did get involved too much in the physical end of it. And uh, by the time the second game was over, I thought Winnipeg was chasing that end. They'd forgotten how good a hockey team they were, and they were trying to punish the Leafs. Yeah, I mean, they had uh, earlier this year, both games were on Toronto ice. They had two 5-2 wins that uh, I was very alarmed about from the Leafs standpoint because I thought Winnipeg absolutely wore them down, and I didn't see any of that in these last two games. I don't know exactly where to put that, but but it was noteworthy, wasn't it? Yes, it was. And, you know, I don't. They had the long road trip. You, can, you can't bring that in as an as an excuse. You might bring it in as an explanation. Some of these road trips, I guess, would begin to to wear on you after a while. But there there was something that changed in Winnipeg that we didn't notice. And uh, Wheeler is not playing the way he can at his best. And hopefully, for Winnipeg's sake, will improve. But they they're just and when they lost the big centerman. Uh, uh, what's his name? The third line setter who was checking uh, Lowry. Yeah, Lowry, who was checking Austin Matthews. That changed the whole setup. That that was difficult for Winnipeg to adjust to. Lowry is a unique third round third line centerman. You know, he's six four, six five, and he can play anybody and play him tough. And if you can help eliminate some of the profound effect that Austin Matthews has on the Leafs, you've got a better chance of being in the game at the end. Well, let's go to the headline story. I, I saved it till this point. Nick Foligno looks absolutely startling out there. I mean, he knows exactly what to do and when to do it. And if you were ever going to lose Zach Hyman and could replace him with Nick Foligno, well, God bless you, because that, that's a, that's Nick Foligno is a great ad, isn't he? Oh, sure he is. And he's, you know, he brings everything that you want in a hockey player. He can, if you want to be, you, you want to challenge him physically, he'll, he'll accept the challenge. 
Uh, if you want him to finesse uh, an offensive play in the offensive zone, he'll do that. If you want him to be in front of the net for a tip in, he'll do that. And more importantly, uh, it, it, it's just I, I think he's a born leader. And just like his father, I, when I see Nick play other than shooting with the other hand, I, 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 I see a lot of similarities. Not as big as his dad, but he's got the same heart and the same drive. And I, I think as you and I uh, talked about it before the acquisition was even made, that acquisition is going to give the Leafs a better chance to be around in the Final Four. I, I, I just, I think they have, uh, they have a chance of, of uh, advancing to uh, the Stanley Cup semifinals with Felino. When, when you make a trade like that and you, you put your team in that type of position, you've made a good deal. Yeah, I mean, there's just a couple of things. Uh, in the last minute of play, when he's out there. He knows exactly what to do. He knows where to go and how to defend. Um, there was a play on, on Saturday where he was coming out over the blue line and uh, ran into some traffic. And so all he did was sort of widen his stance and he took the hit and, and protected the puck and was able to shovel it to another leaf. And, you know, yeah. there are other players that would have given the puck away right there at the blue line. And you know what happens when you do that. So, I mean, yeah. just, just how he protects himself and the team is, is really noteworthy. Yeah, and the fact that he's been playing uh, pro for 14, 15 years, that's, you know, he's, he's, he's done it all, whether it be Ottawa, Columbus, or now Toronto. This guy has been exposed to a lot of different coaches, some of whom have been very successful. And so he's, uh, he's, he's, not, he's not a difficult learner. I think he's, uh, uh, as each stop along the way, at each stop along the way, he's picked up more experience. And as you just said, Jim, he shows it even at center ice on protecting the uh, puck. And, you know, again, you know, not to uh, go nuts on a win, but just looking at how they played on Saturday, if you could add Zach Hyman and Riley Nash to that lineup, that's, that's a pretty good set of forwards, isn't it? Yes, it is. Well, Riley Nash is, in my estimation, will be a – a classic utility center iceman uh, can play the wing face-offs. He's great. And he's got inherent toughness. You know, he doesn't go walking around looking for trouble, but be careful if you want a piece of him. So that, that gives them another, that eliminates any concern about the least being out muscled. They're not going to be. Yeah. And Zach returning to the third line, that just means that uh, one of McKayev, Thornton or Spezza probably will be uh, missing in action on a nightly basis. They can rotate those guys around. and I mean, that, that's a real testament to depth, depth, isn't it? Yes, it is. And, and, and those, I, I've been very impressed with Spezza and Thornton, perhaps more with, uh, with Spezza. Uh, but they can be used effectively if they're not overworked. And uh, that's, that's the coach's challenge. So, as you say, rotating them in in playoff games might be the answer. And if one of them's so good, you might put both of them in. Yeah, I mean, it's great to have those options. So the other breaking yes. story is Freddie Anderson working out, trying to, you know, skating again and admitting he had a, a knee problem. So that is a little precarious in that uh, there was no surgery, just the rest. So I don't know what that would be, but, but he has to feel comfortable. And if he could get back, that would be something. But I, I just don't know how to classify 
where he is because a knee injury for a goalie, I mean, and no surgery, I don't know how that repairs itself. Well, I don't either. I mean, it's a minor cartilage problem uh, from my uh, non-definitive, non-professional standpoint. But, you know, without surgery, you've just got to let the, let the cartilage settle down and uh, uh, they probably are strapping it and uh, stabilizing it. But it's not a good situation going in with your best goalie in that type of a position. I, I'm still not convinced that Supi is as great as they say he is, and that's not for me to criticize him. I have to look at his record. He's been outstanding with the Leafs, but I would be much more comfortable having a healthy uh, Freddie in the net and take my chances on injuries from there. Yeah, totally agree Agree with you, uh, Bill. <laughs> Bill, thanks very much. I really appreciate it. Talk to you again next week. And down the hall, we go to Dave McCarthy from NHL.com, Sirius XM, NHL Network Radio. All right, Dave, let's go back over those two wins in Winnipeg, 5-3 and then 4-1. Uh, I thought it was telling on both sides that the Leafs returned to form, and I thought Winnipeg exposed several cracks that I wasn't expecting to see, namely the goaltender. And, uh, you know, that just the fact that they had to, they felt they had to physically intimidate the Leafs, which to me is always a negative sign. It, it tells me that you can't compete and you have to get the other team off their game. It's sort of a last-ditch thing for me. Yeah, no, I, that's fair to say. I do like how the Leafs responded, though, in those two games against Winnipeg um, from their own standpoint physically. And I think you could almost say that by the end of those two games, the Leafs had become somewhat of the aggressor themselves, which is to say that, look, if you want to play this way with us, um, we're more than comfortable going down that road. Um, you saw Thornton obviously leading the way, and I think he's – at the point now where he's understanding, look, I got to bring something tangible here to stay in the lineup. Um, because for, I don't know, 20 games or so there, he wasn't necessarily delivering the offense, and then he wasn't really impacting the game in any fashion whatsoever. Uh, that's fine. It's in the middle of the regular season. He's an older guy. You know, it's about getting to the playoffs for him. He gets that. But now I think he's, he's getting to the point where it's, it's go time. Um, and he's starting to raise his game. And if he can bring that element of, of physicality, that, that element of even intimidation is the right word, but just where he can zero in on um, a player on the other team, especially if it's a guy in the top six like he did with Nick Ehlers, um, and getting his bonnet and getting off, get him off his game, um, that'll be a real win for this Leafs team. So um, I thought that was encouraging from my standpoint to see how the Leafs responded because in years past, that would have been checkout city to me where, look, no, nope, not interested in playing that way. We'll try and uh, try and get what you can give us here, but uh, we're certainly not going to force the issue. And, and generally speaking, uh, they didn't come out very well in those games. So I thought that was good to see because you need that element uh, at this time of the year, Jim. You see teams that, that go on long runs and, and contend for the Stanley Cup. They can play games and win games in a variety of different fashions, right? Like Tampa Bay last year, uh, we all know they could beat you with skill, and they could beat you with skill in previous years, but that's where it ended in previous years. Last year, they were able to play a tougher game, a more rugged game, if that's if that's how the game uh, went, and they had success because of it. So 
Um, that's critical to me to see, and I, I liked what I was uh, seeing from the Leafs in that standpoint against Winnipeg. Yeah, I mean, there's no shortage of uh, uh, examples of the Leafs adjusting their game to suit the opponent or defeat the opponent. Uh, for me, I guess the headliner, the hot take is Wheeler trying to intimidate Sandine on a, a play that was uh, going to be tight to the boards, and Sandine pushed back and you could see that Wheeler had some trouble after that. And he's had some concussion problems. I mean, if you put that one and and the hit with Lowry, I mean, that's canceling out two significant Winnipeg Jets players by really just by sort of protecting yourself. And and that's, that's good news because in the past, the Leafs would have been run over and defeated. A hundred percent. And, and for that matter, the Jake Muzzin hit on Nick Ehlers, which, you know, unfortunately it's put him out for the year. You don't want to see that, but uh, that was a good hit from, from uh, Muzzin, just standing up, being being hard on the play, and it didn't work out well for Ehlers, unfortunately. Again, you don't want to see people get hurt, but uh, you need to be able to play a tougher game. And those examples that you brought up, uh, a perfect example of that. I, I love I love the Sandine hit. I mean, that was right out of the, the Peter Forsberg school of, of hockey, right, where you go in looking like you're the prey, and then suddenly you become the predator, and it, it caught Blake Wheeler off guard. Um, so that's what teams are going to do against the Leafs. They're going to try to to push them around, um, and you know that's that's how I would approach it if I were a head coach um, of an opponent against Toronto. Look, you know history has shown that when you start to play that way against the Leafs, generally, like I said, it's checkout city, and the game starts to go our way. Um, you, you need to have an answer to that. When you can start to see guys like Rasmus Sandin um, holding his own in that regard, it's a really encouraging sign. I don't know. The, the the funny thing to me was though this notion that uh, the Leafs are a dirty team. That to <laughs> me was <laughs> that to me was 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 just absolutely wild to have that starting to be suggested. Because no, I'm sorry, I, I didn't realize the Leafs were obligated to play under a set of rules which included no contact while the other team um, is allowed to run around. The Leafs weren't doing anything dirty. They were just playing a hard game themselves. Well, I thought it was a big tell on Winnipeg. I mean, you know, quite frankly, these are things that you would hear in a playoff series when yeah. your team isn't doing so well and you pull out all the stops to try and, and get back into the series. I mean, but obviously this was a regular season series and, and what it did was it, it cost the Jets any shot at, at first place. And, and considering what they did Monday night against Edmonton, which wasn't much, you could see yeah. that the, the Jets are now, they should be concerned with, with where they're going because they're they're just not tracking in the right direction but i viewed all this stuff the you know the leaves are dirty um uh, and and the, the constant physical um, edge against the leaves is desperation uh winnipeg's part and and mm-hmm. the fact that the Leafs were able to to solve that and and play through it is just another chapter in the positive column for the leaves have you ever been on uh one of the ends of those conversations that uh, jumbo was having with nick ehlers in the penalty box there like that was wild to me just yeah. to see how Joe zeroed in and dug in and was relentless on on Nick Ehlers. And by the end of it, he just looked like, oh, my God, get me out of here. And and that, that sets a tone for your entire group, right? When you see a guy like Thornton um, engaging in the game that way, a guy who's universally respected in the room, uh, you can't help but look at that and say, okay, look, next time I get on the ice – uh, I'm giving it 110% because I don't want to let that guy down. And now I'm fired up and ready to go. So that's that's why um, having guys like that on your group is so important. You look at the changes that Toronto has made 
since they lost in the bubble to Columbus. Like, look who's, who's gone out. Uh, guys like uh, Andreas Janssen, guys like Kasperi Kapan, uh, who were not exactly the, the hardest-nosed players. Guys that, when they weren't scoring, well, what else were they offering you? Um, now, guys who have come in, Thornton, Simmons, uh, uh, um, Felino, they've brought in, uh, Zach Bogosian on the back end to add some, uh, some ruggedness here. They brought in guys that are fundamentally different from the types of players that they've had in the past couple of years, where, like I say, when they weren't scoring, they had a lot of talent, but when they weren't scoring, they weren't bringing you much else. Now you've got guys on this group that are bringing you something else, even if they're not scoring. And I think it, it, it has the potential to filter on through the rest of the group. What I don't understand, start to see it on social media every time uh, you get to this point in the year, you get some folks saying, "I'll, you know, look at look at all these good teams. The hits are low. Okay, you don't because when you when you have the puck, you don't need to hit." And, and it's like people try to to devalue the importance of physicality, and I, I just don't understand it. Like I'm not interested in any metric that you seem to believe will prove that that hitting and toughness and physicality is unimportant at this time of year. Because I'll just contend with this. You point to me the last team that has been able to river hockey their way to a Stanley Cup in recent memory. It just doesn't happen. You need you need that element of toughness in your game to go deep. Um, just look at the, the Cup winners: St. Louis, Washington. Um, you know all these teams that have that have won cups. Tampa Bay, the way they remade their team. You need it, and the Leafs have, I think, recognized that. That's why Kyle Dubas has gone down this road and brought in some of the guys that I just mentioned in place of some of the guys that they let go that I just discussed because you need a different element to your group, and the Leafs have that now. Well, and what they've been very fortunate at is everybody they brought in has been close to a perfect fit, if not a perfect fit. Uh, when you talked about Janssen and Capitan, with all due respect to those guys, I always viewed them as um, – top six wannabes and i say that with all due respect because i think they believed that they could have been top six and on another team that they could well have been top well, six players but but when you well, have your core yeah when you have your... let me just interject on that andreas johnson's had that opportunity this year in new jersey he's got four goals or five goals in whatever it is 46 games exactly I mean... so so but when you already have your core players you don't need people on the outside auditioning to take their jobs. What you need is people to, to support them and make them better, which is what they've done. But, but that, that whole thing about having wannabes uh, that could crack the top six or think they can, that's part of the, the building process. They're, they're well past that now. Absolutely. You have to identify your, your, your core, right? And, and figure out who you want to be the guys that you're putting on the ice for, for 17 to 23 minutes a night up front. Right? Those are the guys that you're ultimately going to win with. Um, and clearly, uh, the Maple Leafs have that core with Matthews and Marner and Tavares and Nylander and Zach Hyman, obviously, when he's healthy. Um, you don't win the Stanley Cup with four first lines because when it, 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 you're, the, the way the ice time is going to go, not everyone's going to get 15 minutes on the dot right so some guys are going to get 20 plus other guys are going to end up getting you know eight to ten or less uh what can you do in those eight to ten minutes it's probably not wheeling around the ice like you're 
like you're an all-star. It's, how, it's, it's grinding the opponent down. It's changing the momentum. It's uh, being effective on special teams. Can you contribute killing penalties? Um, and, and when the answer to that question is no, well, suddenly you don't become nearly as valuable. You need guys that can fill that role and be happy in that role as well. That's the other thing, right? You can't be disappointed and, and sulky. And not to suggest that some of the guys that were here in years past were, but um, you need to be able to, to contribute in a lesser role. And what they've done is they've brought in guys who are one willing and ready to embrace that role. Um, and, and, and two, you know, it's allowed them to, to compliment, as you put it. And I agree, compliment, uh, the core guys who are going to be the guys that, you know, as you always say, Jim, uh, are going to carry you any place that you're going to go with this group, right? I mean, if, if it's not going to be Matthews and Marner and Nylander and Tavares, uh, getting the job done on most nights, uh, let's, let's be honest here. We love Thornton and Simmons and, and Felino and, uh, and Bogosian and those guys as much as anybody, but they're not going to be the guys that win you a Stanley Cup. They're going to contribute, but you need the, the big boys to be the big boys. Oh, absolutely. I mean, look, Polino, Galchenyuk, Thornton, Spezza, Simmons, and maybe yeah. you could throw in, in Kerfoot. Um, all of those names could not be back. They could all be gone at the end of this season if the, if the Leafs don't win a Stanley Cup. And even if they do win a Stanley Cup, odds are three, at least 50% of those guys won't be back for obvious reasons because they're older and, and would want to leave. But that's where they're at. You know, the core is there. If the core is a problem, that, that's, that's a big issue. But, but yeah. I don't see the core as a problem. No, not at all. I mean, the way, uh, the way Matthews is playing this year, the guy scores uh, with an ease at which, quite frankly, I can't recall seeing in my time watching the National Hockey League. And I'm talking you know, 25 years now. Um, obviously, there have been prolific scorers, but uh, the way Matthews scores goals, it, it, it looks like he can score on every single shift. And then generally when he does... You know, you're just laughing. You're like, man, it shouldn't be that easy, but it is. Uh, Marner has put himself on a different level this year. He's having a great year. Um, and let's not kid ourselves. A big, uh, big reason why Matthews having success as well. Not to say that uh, Matthews only having success because of Marner, but man, have the two of them ever put together a really nice uh, duo? And uh, I know we've been talking about it for a good part of the regular season. Uh, John Tavares and his production. But in the last two or three weeks, um, he has really, really turned a corner and is at the level now where I think he needs to be if the Leafs are going to have an opportunity. I really liked his game of late. Um, and it's funny how you, you look at it, his numbers have, have gotten right back to where you'd, you'd pretty well expect them to be. Over the course of the season, it all seems to come out in the wash. But um, that's good to see that he's peaking at the right time of year. Um, as opposed to you know the example that you put out with the Jets, where a lot of those guys are going in the wrong direction this time of year, and they're running out of time to get it sorted out. So uh, the core is looking like it's in good shape as well. And then I guess the element in the room as well, Freddie Anderson, who we would consider, I guess, to be part of the core as well, certainly in the last four years. Uh, he's starting to sniff around, back on the ice practicing, and he said he wants to get in a game or two before the end of the year, and that's an encouraging sign as well. Yeah, it is, and and it'd be nice if if he could return to form. That would just give them a, a depth that nobody else really has. I have to say though, watching the Leafs against the Jets with Nick Foligno, who adds a specific ingredient to the Leafs stew, 
and, and you can watch him do what he does and, and realize that a, a healthy Zach Hyman and a healthy Riley Nash added to what's already there, that mm-hmm. is impressive. It is, um, because again, Felino is a guy that's come in fully willing and ready to accept the role that, uh, that he's going to get to take on. Um, he's not looking to go out there and be the star. He's ready to play a complementary role. Um, and, and the elements that he has to his game, I think, will really complement uh, Matthews and Marner well, or even if it's uh, Tavares and Nylander. Like, Felino's a consistent player. You know what he's bringing on a daily basis, which is what Zach Hyman is too, right? He's a consistent guy. Um, and when you have those types of guys, it's so, I guess, reassuring would be the word as a head coach where you're not going into the game thinking, man, I hope this guy's at his best. Uh, I hope he gives me his A game tonight. Like, f- uh, for, for Hyman and Felino, their A game is just centered around work. So if they show up to the rink uh, ready to work, um, they're going to be good. It's as simple as that. They don't need to be feeling it uh, from a finesse standpoint. They don't need to be uh, getting cross-ice passes through legs through in order to be at their best. Uh, it, it's just all about their their game of, of being go out there, uh, work harder than the guy across from me, dig the puck out, and get it to get it to my line mates. And if they do that, they're going to have um, a, a successful night. And it's uh, those are the type of guys that are, are are really valuable at this time of year. And I agree. I'll, I'll put I'll also put it out this way: Adam Brooks has been interesting in terms of the yeah. what in terms of what he's brought to that that line with. Uh, Thornton and Spezza, um, almost to the extent where I look at Pierre Engvall and I say, you know what, Engvall, where's where's his ceiling? Well, I think it's reasonably high when he's when he's feeling it, when he's got his A game going. But man, I see that A game like once or twice every ten games, and to me, that's a bit of an issue at this time of year. Adam Brooks, I think, has brought a little bit more consistency than than Engvall, but Riley Nash is one of those guys like Felino and, uh, and Hyman where uh, you can put him in a role. He can really be a guy that, that shuts down other teams' uh, top players, and he brings that on a nightly basis. There's consistency in his game. We're probably not going to get to see it till the playoffs because um, I don't think he's going to be back before the regular season, even if he was ready from a cap standpoint. Uh, Brandon Pridham would have to do all sorts of gymnastics to get him in. Uh, but he's another one of those consistent guys where you can count on um, to to have a role filled in the bottom of your lineup. And again, um, that's exactly what you're looking for as a head coach at this time of year. Yeah, I, just to, to sort of add to what you've said there, I, I agree with you. I think Brooks is a better fit. Ingvall, for me, is is somebody who might be better suited on another lesser hockey team because I think he has to figure out what he has to offer. I mean, the, the Leafs... Uh, spot for him is very specific and, mm-hmm. and I just think that he has to sort of grow into that and he's not there. He'd be great on, on a lower class team. There's no question about that because he's got all kinds of potential but but in this particular situation uh, the job function is very specific and I don't know that he's a fit. No, I don't know about that either. Um, when he's at his best I'd argue he, he is. When he decides to use his size um, once every 10 games or so, man that, that would be ideal sort of on a third line because he can skate like the wind. He's, he's built like a, like a unit, um, and he needs to learn to use that size to his advantage. He's got such a reach uh, that, that comes in hand when you're in the defensive zone, uh, comes in handy when you're in the defensive zone. Um, 
but but a lot of times I just watch him play and he tries to wheel around the ice like he's, you know, Austin Matthews. I, 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 I've said this before. When, you, when you're not – back when we were in the press box too. Um, when you're in the, uh, the ring and you're not necessarily watching the play and you just turn your head to catch the play as someone's wheeling through the neutral zone, you don't quite know who's on the ice. And it happens to be Engvall. The way he wheels through the ice, the middle of the ice – I, I often say, oh, Matthews, oh, oh, no, no, that's Engvall. Like, he really has similar tendencies when you watch him carry the puck to Matthews. The size, his speed, um, but he's not, obviously, Matthews. And he needs to realize that, that once he gets into the offensive zone, he can't play that same game. He needs to get on, on the cycle, get in on the forecheck, use his size, doesn't do that consistently enough. To me, he's kind of one of those guys that we talked about earlier in the chat, Jim, where... It's like, look, are they auditioning for a top six role? I mean, maybe they are, and maybe that could be what their potential is. But on this team, there's no room for it. And we need you to fill, you know, this specific role. And I think what we're seeing right now is there may be better guys, uh, better suited to fit that role. Um, And I think that's what Sheldon Keefe's um, telling us, kind of just in the way he's managing his lineup the last uh, number of games. We're starting to see Engvall sliding down the lineup and sometimes out of the lineup in favor uh, of a different guy like Adam Brooks to see what, uh, what he may be able to offer. Um, and then certainly with the availability of Riley Nash come playoff time. Yeah, this is not audition time for me. This is all chips in and see where it goes. And, and to that point, uh, as, as a final thought here, Dave, there's eight games left, four against Montreal. Uh, I think Montreal is the final test for this Maple Leafs team. Montreal will play it close to the vest and Montreal is desperate to maintain their playoff spot. So these four games, if the Leafs get through that, if they have like a three and one or mm-hmm. they have some sort of an edge after those four games, I would anoint them as, as a sure bet to get into the final four. Yeah, and likely it's going to be a first-round playoff series preview against Montreal, right? Because it's looking more and more like that uh, could be the team that Toronto faces. Um, you know, Calgary missed a big opportunity on Monday to close the gap to two on uh, Montreal for that final playoff spot. So their their hill is pretty tall to climb. And Vancouver, I mean, nice story the way they came out of their COVID shutdown, but oh, I don't think they've got it in in the cards to to catch Montreal. So it's looking like it's going to be Toronto Montreal. And you know, I don't know. You always talk to players. I, I ask them at this time of the year. Look. Um, how much uh, is in your mind when it comes to recent um, activity against the team that you could well end up facing in the first round? And most guys summarily dismiss and say, it doesn't matter what happened in the regular season. Um, I'm only looking at the playoffs. But that's what they say. Man, I got to think that there is some level of, um, I guess, interest would be the word, in going into the playoffs from a side psychological standpoint, feeling good about your, your game against your opponent. Like you don't want to go in if you're the Leafs going, you know, one and three against Montreal in these remaining four games, because then suddenly if you're Montreal, you got to think to yourselves, Hey, well, look, you know, we just took three or four from Toronto. Why not us? And then you go in feeling good about yourself, feeling loose. And then, Hey, maybe you get the first game and then, Oh baby, here we go. So I think it's important to uh, go into a playoff series with, uh, with relative um, good feelings about how you've played against your opponent recently. And, um, 
and that's why I think it's going to be important for the Leafs over these next uh, four games. Montreal is in a desperate, uh, a desperate frame of mind. They got Cole Caulfield in the lineup uh, now, who's done nothing but score. Uh, didn't score in his debut, but potentially he could help this team that's really, really struggled uh, to score on a consistent basis. Um, so we'll see. But I think it's important myself to uh, to try and at least at least take two of, of four but maybe try and, and take three or four and be feeling really good and, and crush the spirits of Montreal going into what could be a, a first-round playoff series preview. David, thanks very much. We'll chat in a couple of weeks. Thanks, Jim. Keep well. Last minute of play in this podcast. All right, there it is, the time warning from PA announcer Mike Ross. Time now to play Yes Guy, No Guy. This is going to be lickety-split. We're going to fit all this in. Number one, Nick Foligno. Oh, are you kidding? Yes, guy. Number two, Joe Thornton. Intensity. Emotion is back. Oh, that's a huge yes, guy. The Leafs responding to physical play from the Jets. Another emphatic yes, guy. Four games with Montreal to wrap up the season. Four out of the last eight games against Montreal. Oh, bring it on, guy. Can't wait for that. Hope you enjoyed episode 31 of Leafs, guy. and Hope you come back for episode 32 on Friday.